You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honored to welcome to our show Rabbi Dr. Shmuley Yanklowitz, rabbi, activist, and author of 18 different books. Rabbi Yanklowitz, welcome. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. An honor to be with you. So your, your latest book is the Book of Jonah, a social justice commentary. And it's the first time you've picked one specific book of the Bible and looked at it in depth. So what is it in this book in particular that points you towards a commentary on social justice? So, you know, it's a wonderful question, Rabbi Neil, and it's, it's a moment where the world is burning. We all know the world is burning. We have political divisions. We have uh, climate change, environmental destruction. We have uh, a public health crisis in the pandemic, economic unheaval, upheaval. We have great change. We have systemic racism. We have a rising culture of hate. There are so many issues, anti-Semitism. It goes on and on of the number of concerns we can have around social justice today. And the question is, where do we grapple with the wisdom, both to spiritually remain healthy, that we can sustain the complexities and uncertainties of our time, and also feel the moral charge to do our part to bring repair to this all too broken world. And so the Safer Yonah, the book of Jonah, has been one of those places that I have been able to look. And one of the reasons is because I can see myself in him. When I look at other prophets, they're so great. They're so perfect seeming. They're, they're so, uh, they do remarkable things, things that are, are problematic things. I would never uh, put my son on the altar as Abraham does, as Abraham does to Isaac. And um, I would never challenge God about destroying the city. I mean, maybe I would, but things that are so unreachable for my, for my life. Jonah is like me. He is struggling. He is running away from commitments. He is fleeing. He is falling asleep. He falls and finds, and finds himself in depression at times. He is whining, right? That's what makes it so remarkable and so accessible. Not only that it's only these four, four short chapters, right? But also that it is a book about someone who is trying to figure out his role in a messy world. But doesn't Jonah, by running away, I mean, you, you said that he sort of is avoiding the call and so on, but Surely you're better than Jonah, aren't you? Well, you know, it's funny because we can feel we can feel proud of ourselves um, in the good that we do. And we should. We should have a healthy sense of self-esteem. But we can also understand how great the needs are and how imperfect and inadequate our responses are. We, don't, we need not be plagued with the toxicity of guilt but we can feel charged to realize how much greater the task is. Undeniably, we all run away from the call, right? We all answer the call, right? God says, Ayeka, where are you? And we say, Hineni, here I am. But throughout the day, the call emerges again, and we don't listen. 
right? There are so many opportunities to be kinder to our life partners and children, to our parents, to our community members, to people around the world, to our opposition, to customer service agents. There are so many people we can be kinder to. There are so many justice causes we can be more responsive to. We can sacrifice so much more of our time and resources. And so I do think we should have a healthy sense of what's possible, a realistic sense, but also see that all of us in our own way runs away from our own calling. See, I find that I, I find this fascinating because I, I totally understand the the idea that it, it we can understand that we have an, an inadequate response. But what you when you started talking, you were talking about we all know the world is burning. There's so much nowadays. You know, back in, in the time of Jonah, back you know, before the internet, we all could do our part because we knew it was almost, you know, the think global at local, and we could do that. But now when we think global, we see so much global suffering, so much work, the call has become so amplified to the point that can any one human even bear it? So when you say the whole world is burning, I know, and what am I meant to do about that? I can, yeah. I can only do a little bit. So, yeah. so isn't it healthy to run away almost? And it, hasn't that call become so great that it's become almost disempowering? Yes, you're totally right. You're totally right. And this is a case for community. Because if we're the lonely prophet, then we stand there alone in a broken world and realize how we can do nothing. But if we come together, we can realize that each of us has our own little part to do. And together, those little parts add up together. You know, Jonah wasn't only plagued with the overwhelming call. It's also that he didn't want that call. He didn't want that call. And one of the explanations from the commentators as to why he ran away was not that he was just fleeing God or fleeing responsibility, although you can make that case, but that, that, that this, this was the enemy of the Jewish people. He was fleeing because he felt that by saving them, he would ultimately be destroying the Jewish people that the people of Nineveh are people who, in this, in this empire, was an anti-Semitic uh, establishment. And so, too, we can be plagued by the complexity and uncertainty of our moment. Not that, do I want to help or not help? But, geez, how do I help? And am I making things worse by helping? And what are my obligations to my family versus community, or community versus humanity, or humanity versus all of life, and these conflicting obligations? And so I think one paradigm that helps me to think about what we can do and what we can't do is the idea that we can find our passion and our power. That is to say, we can't do everything, but I can find my passion, the work that actually sustains me, what really keeps me up at night, what really excites me to be a part of, and where is my power? Where can I really make a difference? We can't do everything, but if we follow our passion and we follow our power, we can do something. I, I think that's a gorgeous expression, you know, find our passion and our power. I think that's wonderful. Does Jonah have a passion and a power? Is he avoiding it? You know, when he flees to Tarshish, one of the commentaries that you said in the book, you quote uh, James Ackerman saying, you know, he's going to Nineveh, um, which connotes luxury and desire and delight. It, is he hiding in materialistic hedonism? Or is he perhaps saying, no, I need to speak against the 1% almost? Well, that's part of the mystery of Jonah, is we don't exactly know what or why. It's all really uh, suspicious. And there are charitable interpretations and less charitable interpretations. But one charitable interpretation is we can decide for ourselves 
where what causes we'll get involved with, what issues we're going to address. For him, he had the blessing and the curse of being called by God towards a task, right? That is very daunting to actually um, be called, be ordered, you know, towards a certain calling. And um, those of us who feel we can hear the voice of God in the world may feel that, but for people like me, who don't necessarily feel they can hear a clear voice of God in the world, we're going to have to figure that out that out ourselves. And so um, it is unclear if he is a narcissistic, selfish, hedonistic, you know, uh, person who uh, is self-absorbed, or if he is a a kind and uh, and and just seeker who is confused and lost and trying to figure it out. When you talk about God's call, and, and hopefully this is a, a question that's helpful for everyone who listens. When you talk about God's call, and he may be one, trying to avoid, run away from God's call. But in the end, he doesn't. He can't. He can flee to Tarshish and get in a ship and be thrown in and hide in the, the belly of the ship. But he will be summoned up and he can be cast into the sea into a, a big fish, but he will be spat out on the land. So is there a sense for you that if we have some kind of divine calling, you can try to flee from it, but you're never going to anyway? I think this is right. And the way I think this is manifest today is that each of us has a soul. And the soul is a complicated thing to define, but that soul is our essence. Our calling is found within our unique particularity, the gifts that we were given. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov once say, that said, the day you were born was the day that when God decided the world could not exist without you. Each of us has our own unique calling in this world. We might not hear God as a screaming voice on a mountaintop, but we can, by being introspective and reflective and prayerful and, and meditative, we can access our true essence and see who am I? What is my work in this world? You know, when Michelangelo was asked, how did you carve the David? He said, I didn't create a David, right? I chipped away at the parts that weren't David in order to find the Michelangelo who was, excuse me, to find the David that was already in there. So too for us, we get caught up in social conformity and trying to please and trying to be popular and trying to survive, that we can lose our true self. And if we can strip away all that clutter, all that noise and listen inside to ourselves and discover the gifts and talents that each of us has, each of us can bring light to our own corner of darkness. It's so empowering what you're saying. Does this mean that everyone is called to something? I absolutely believe that is true. And I think we sometimes make the mistake of calling that leadership. Leadership is something broad, but also very particular. And people feel like they're leaders and not leaders. And so they're not called. But I actually think the description of the world, the description of reality, reality that states it is fundamentally evil, there's more bad than good, right? Everyone is selfish is a flawed description. If we watch the news, we will walk away with such an interpretation, right? That there is war, there's robbery, there's everyone is corrupt. But in fact, I believe so deeply that at every given moment, there is far more kindness than cruelty. At this very moment, Rabbi Neil, someone is holding the hands of a stranger who's dying. Millions of people 
are, are there in hospice. Millions of teachers are holding the pencil of a, of a student patiently to teach them to write. Millions of pastors and social workers and rabbis and the like are sitting with people who are, who are struggling. At every moment, the, the profundity of the kindness far outweighs the, the, the cruelty. Each of us has that calling. Very different calling, but from our own space, a calling that no one else can pursue and fulfill but us. It's such an important message that, you know, so, so then I guess, I guess when we look at Jonah, we're, we're not sure what his calling is, what his message, I mean, there's, there's a clear call for him, but maybe his calling is in fact to end up in Tarshish, to help change the sailors, to help, you know, because as you say in, in the introduction, he's, um, how did you put it, like one of the most successful prophets ever. So maybe how, how he hears the call and how he responds to the call is part of that shared dynamic of, of developing our own call. Yes, exactly. I love that because I think it is a partnership. I think one of the great things about Judaism, as I understand it, is that we don't just obey the word of God and we don't merely obey our own instincts and, and form of reason. There's a divine human partnership. And that's complicated. And it means that the calling is evolving. It's changing. It's relational. It's what Buber calls the I and thou, right? We have to actually see the fullness of the other, as Levinas talks about in ethics as well. See the fullness of the other and then be transformed by it. The calling changes, right? When my baby is born, my calling changes. When I now see a homeless person in the street, my calling changes, right? When I gain power or privilege I didn't have previously, my calling changes. And so um, uh, I think that one of the difficulties is learning how to listen. There is so much noise. There's so much noise. And learning how to slow down and listen and process can help give us clarity. It, it's it's empowering to hear this because the the call at the beginning of chapter one uh, of Jonah is not necessarily the call. So we we can you know very often people talk of clergy. Did you hear the call? But it's not the call. It's almost the call of every moment, isn't it? The call of the now, the call of the, the child who's crying, you know, I, but I've got work to do, I've got this to do, but I am called to do this now, aren't I? Mm. So it's, it's that ever-changing call that I think you're really helping bring out, which I think is so essential. You know, I, um, it, 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 it's such a profound thing to think about. There's a story of the altar Rebbe that he was learning Torah with his grandson. And, uh, and there was a baby that cried in the room next door. And then um, uh, he, 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 he paused his learning and soothed the child and then came back and scolded his grandson. That if the cry of another doesn't get you to stop your learning, then your learning is null and void. Which is to say that sometimes it's very hard to shift gears. I, you know, I was jogging in the heat a few summers ago and I kicked a curb and I broke some bones in my foot. And I waited on the side of the road for an hour, thought I was gonna pass out out there, it was 115 degrees. And finally a woman came by on her bike. And I said to her, oh, this is amazing. You must be the Messiah. You gotta call my wife. I gotta go to the hospital. She looked at me laying on the side of the road, looked at her watch and she said, I'm so sorry, I'm late for church. You know, and um, it didn't have to be church. She could have said synagogue. She could have said something else. But the idea that we're such in a hurry to, to do something, even something good, that we can miss what's happening right in front of us. And so, you know, Rav Cook explains 
of Chai Kayam, the blessing that ones that many Jews recite upon waking up in the morning, thanking God for being reborn when we're when we when we are when we wake up. He says God is Chai Kayam, living and established, changing and non-changing. So too, each of us can be rooted in our consistency and our values about what our calling is. There's a rootedness to our values and changing and adapting, but we need both. My call of the now right now is is so profane, I'm afraid, which is the call of having to take a break. Um, but I do want to, uh, we are going to come back in a moment. Um, you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance. Uh, my guest this evening, Rabbi Dr. Shmuley Yaglowitz, uh, author of um, the Book of Jonah, a social justice commentary, among many other books. We'll be back after this break. You're back listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom, Rabbi Shmuley, uh, author of the Book of Jonah, a social justice commentary. Before the break, we were talking about the call and the ever-changing call to uh, all of us. I, I, I want to go from there into the call of this unique situation, the call you mentioned earlier, the health crisis and the pandemic. Jonah, when he comes out of the fish, uh, is transformed, and, and he moves into a transformed society. Noah, as you compare in the book, um, Noah comes out of the ark in a transformed society, a totally transformed world. Do you think as we come out of this pandemic, do you think we might be able to have a similar letting go of the past and a new shaping of the world? And how does the book of Jonah help us with that? Beautiful, beautiful, profound question. Thank you. You know, I mean, it, and it's interesting. There's so many contrasting and similarity, similarities between those two stories um, where Noah is really willing to, um, to see everything be destroyed um, without pushing back as, as he and his family and the animals get in the, get in the ark and everyone else drowns. Um, and it almost feels like a, a tikkun, a repair, a fix from God to say, you know what? We're not just going to destroy evil. We need to try to give second chances to try to bring mercy over justice and try to save. And so Jonah, I'm not going to let you get away in an ark, in a boat. You're not just going to sail away right? You're actually going to go and address the messiness of this reality. And then we come to our moment. And our moment is so profound and complex and terrifying. And we see that in many ways in social distancing and in quarantine and in isolation, that we too are in an ark, we too are in a ship sailing away. And yet I fear that we will not be transformed by this moment. And that is partially because we're not locked away in the fish. We're not locked away in the ark, right? Without any windows to the world. Some of us are going about life as usual with a mask and with some distancing. Some are completely isolated and some are somewhere in between. But what we see is that the craving is not for a new world. The craving is for to return to normal. And that's normal and natural. Um, of course, many of us talk about a better world we can build a different reality we can create together. But the truth is we already see that we can't even get the public health crisis under control because people are so eager to just to return to normal. And so I think we need the zisfleisch, we need the patience, the ability to sit and dream and imagine a new world. And we can only do that if we see that we're in this together. 
if we have a fear mentality, when we see a competitive landscape, we see some winning and some losing, we fear, we've, we can naturally fear that we will miss out, we will lose out. And so we break down the bonds of trust. If we can rebuild societal trust that we are, we're collectively in this together, I think we can indeed build a better normal because the challenges we have to face together are enormous. With, with both Noah and Jonah, there's almost that approach to death, that, that near-death encounter, um, you know, going down to Sheol, to that sort of deep, dark place of almost non-being. How far do you think we have to be stripped of current being in order to envisage that new world, which I, I absolutely agree with you, I'm not sure we're there yet. I think what we want is just a, just bring it back to how it was. Yeah. How, how much undoing of the self or of society needs to happen for us to transform? Yeah, a great, amazing question. And, you know, of course, the most transformative moment globally of the 20th century was the Holocaust. Sometimes it takes some of the worst traumas and tragedies uh, and acts of evil to uh, reshape the reality as it's known. And yet, how much of that actually sustains, right? We know empirically that near-death experiences lead people to commit to new lifestyles. But we also know it does not take long to lose those convictions, those commitments, just like a, ba just like a bad diet, a diet that lasts a, a week or a month. So too, a near-death experience, right? Also rarely lasts in terms of one's life choices. Of course, there's exceptions to that. And so what does it take? I, this is the million dollar question, Rabbi Neil. What does it take for us to collectively change, for us to collectively decide that this is not working in so many ways for so many people? And we can rely on the elevated spiritual consciousness that leads us to empathy, but that won't always get us there. We can rely on legislation, but that also can be flimsy and tenuous. We can rely upon God, but we can't see God's presence or control in such a world. And so in some, in some case, in some sense, there's a balance between doing all we can and letting go with a sense of trust and faith. Doing all we can to, to put into place, to put into practice um, the values which we wish to see manifest, and then also stepping back and humbly creating space for others to do their part. I think that's it's so lovely to hear that. It makes me think of the Tardemar, this deep sleep of Jonah, yes, yes. Uh, which is also that transformative sleep of Adam uh, at the beginning of Genesis, which that, that's, that transformation of Adam can only happen when he lets go of existence almost and says, I, I will sleep and rest so that you may operate on me, essentially. So maybe with Jonah, maybe part of, we, we very often judge Jonah for, for diving down into the belly of the, not of the fish, but of the ship to, to hide from things. But it almost sounds like I'm taking from what you're saying that that's almost that moment of letting go. I've done what I can. I now have to stop into that, into that tardema, that deep sleep of nothingness, because there's only so much I can control. I can start the journey, but I, I can't go all the way. Perhaps. What a beautiful thought. What a beautiful and powerful thought. You know, another way to think about that is that uh, in terms of the limits of our power, the limits of our control, and the humility that comes with that, that um, 
is that in the creation story, each day God goes to sleep, right, so to speak. Each night, God says, I couldn't, I couldn't or didn't create the whole world today. I need to break, I need to stop, and I'll try again tomorrow. Right, the God. In other, in other words, God goes to sleep every night without the work, without the work being done. So too for us. Like the more we take on, the more we realize how unfinished that work is. That we need to um, go to sleep. And um, and I want to encourage us of this. There are many people who can be shook a little bit because they don't feel the traumas of the life. But others of us who care so much, we don't live a life of indifference or apathy. I think we need to maintain our own mental health and our own well-being to make sure we're getting the sleep and the exercise and the rest we need, the self-care that we need in order that we can honor our own, uh, our own dignity and then channel our own light forward as well. It reminds me of the Mishnah from Pirkei Avot, from which, uh, for which you also provided an extraordinary commentary, Lo Alecha Ligmor. You know, it, we can't finish the whole task, but we're not free to desist from it. So therefore, at, at least do a, a bit. Beautiful, beautiful. So look, we've only got a few minutes left. Let me just ask, I think you, one of the things you bring out, there's so many things I could ask, but one of the, staying on this theme of that call, essentially, um, in, in chapter 15 of your book, you talk about that sense of um, the universalism of the book of Jonah. People often criticize the Bible for being extremely particularistic. It's all about the Jewish people or the chosen people or however they, they read it as such and say, well, you know, so that's just about them doing their thing. But you and chapter 15 talk very clearly about you, the universalist message of Jonah. And so I guess, I guess touching on that, that idea of the call, how is that universalism manifested in, that, in the book? And, and why, is, why is a universalist message so important for you in this, in this text? Amazing, amazing. So this is one of the great callings of our time, to figure out how to intertwine particularism and universalism. We can't hide away in one of them. Many, of the, many people want to be tribal and hide out in just their particularism and hide from the universalism, as Jonah might. And many want to be universalists but lose their particularity, right? But actually, we are different, and our differences enhance the landscape. And Jonah, this book, perhaps more than any others, is such a universalistic message. God cares about Nineveh, right? The city of Nineveh, even though they're engaged in horrific things worthy of destruction, God loves them. God says to this, uh, this, this Jewish man, you should care about them and love them too. Then we see religious pluralism. We see that the sailors pray together right? Presumably, as the, as the commentators say, they come from very different backgrounds. And not only that, they care about Jonah. They do all they can to not throw him over, overboard until they have to. Um, and, then, and then also that the model of teshuvah, the model of repentance, of growth, of, of, of spiritual potentiality is Nineveh, that they, more than anyone, they completely transform themselves, Right? That, that they are who we can learn from. Our last point for now is just this idea that if not out of altruism, out of self-interest, we are all on the same boat. Universalism at the very least can be if there's a hole under one person's seat on the boat, the whole ship sinks. We're in this together. We see this from a public health crisis. We know this about environmentalism. We know this about economies. We know this about the butterfly effect. It's true on so many levels. We are deeply interconnected. And at the very least, that can be self-interest, that we have to care about each other 
because that's how we all survive. But ultimately, it's about a deeper allyship where we take care of each other because each of us has infinite dignity and value. That is a wonderful place for us to end. Rabbi Shmuley, thank you so much for being on our show today. Rabbi Neil, what, an, what a great honor to be on your amazing podcast. Thank you so much. So thank you, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz, author of the Book of Jonah, a social justice commentary available now from the CCR Press. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.